Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Uh, if you did not hear about or see the front page of the uh, New York Post today, uh, it's probably the most overt negativity I've seen in the media. Uh, the title of it is God Can't... It was mocking all of those uh, people who, uh, leaders of our country that tweeted their prayers for the uh, families and the, the, uh, this newspaper had as its front page, God can't fix this. In other words, you're wasting your time praying. God can't fix this. This was, this is not the Inquirer. This is the New York Post. One of the major New York newspapers. Front page that's, that filled up the whole front page. God can't fix this. Uh, in the means, way in which they're saying it, uh, he's, they're right. But their, their solution to this isn't going to fix anybody either. Because this, their solution was, let's ban all guns. This will never happen again. The naivety of that is just absolutely beyond comprehension to think that if we could just ban all guns, men would never harm men again, and we would never have any tragedies if we just banned all guns. That's, that's just... I'm not a gun owner. I don't use guns. I, that's, I, I'm not a member of the NRA. I don't care to have a gun, don't want to have a gun. Uh, so you understand my point is not being spoken. I'm not taking this position as a gun advocate. I'm taking the position based on the fact that it, 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 it borders on... <sighs> stupidity to honestly believe that you could eliminate guns and men would never harm them other people so men never harmed men till guns were invented right right so if you stab somebody with a fork let's let's ban all forks and uh, if you smother somebody with a pillow let's ban all pillows and and um, give me a break. Our problem is much, much deeper than, than this totally naive fix. Praise God. So understand again, I am not making uh, pro or, or, or anti-gun pronouncements. I'm talking about the absolute naivety of somebody to take this position in the light of all of these people. Uh, I think I heard this evening that it's up to 21 injured, 14 dead, 21 seriously wounded. Uh, the families, what, you, you, what are these families going through? And while they're suffering, we're going to fuss about uh, gun laws. Right, right. Praise God. Hallelujah. And this is workplace violence when a mother takes her baby to the grandmother 
and drives away with her husband to shoot and kill a bunch of people and and very likely never see her child again. Anger doesn't cause you to do something like that. It's ideology that would cause you to be willing to make that kind of sacrifice. But of course, our government and our leader is not going to call it what it is. You can do what you want to with that, but you've got to admit it's true. He's not going to call it what it is. His motives for doing that, as between him and God, I don't know what a man's heart, what's in a man's heart. But he's not going to call it what it is. Praise God. So that's enough of that. I got some good stuff to talk about tonight. Hallelujah. That's really honestly, I'm not, I didn't come here to talk about that. But we don't have our heads in the sand. And we are not helpless victims. If somebody came in here right now and killed every one of us, we are not helpless victims. We are children of God. He is in control. We trust Him. Praise God. And if we die, and you say, speak for yourself. That's, that, that's, it is the problem. I am speaking for myself. I would, would that I was speaking for you, but I can't speak for you. If I die for my faith, I won't be the first one and I won't be the last. And at least I believe in my faith strongly enough that if I, if dying is necessary, so be it. Somebody died for my faith. Thank God he did. Hallelujah. Okay, now you're not going to believe where I'm going after all of that, right? John chapter 3, beginning with verse 26. I'm just reading for context. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, this my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly. And speaketh of the earth, and he that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and that no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Now, uh, whoever's on the computer, I'm reading the next two verses, and I'm coming back to verse 34 in the Amplified, please. So I'm reading verse 34, Ken, in the King James. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. And then 
Again, verse 34 in the Amplified. Uh, I'll get it there myself. Okay. Verse 34. For since he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, proclaims God's own message, God does not give him his spirit sparingly or by measure, but boundless is the gift God makes of his spirit. You may be seated. Praise God. This, uh, this is a verse that's always intrigued me. And I have explained it in various different ways according to my understanding at the time of any specific explanation. Various different ways throughout my life and my ministry. But there have always been questions in my spirit. I, I have never understood it in a way that I felt totally comfortable that that's what the Lord was saying. And of course it made sense to my mind that the Son of God would have the Spirit in a different way than, than us who are, oh yeah, sons of God. And I would, and I concluded that must be the case, that it's different because his flesh was sinless and ours is not, so we can only have a limited amount of God and he had an unlimited amount of God. Except he's finite. That body, <laughs> forgive me now, some of you are going to have a problem with this. The body of the man Christ Jesus can only be in one place at one time. You're saying that he's not God. Absolutely, I'm saying he's not God. God lived in the body. The body was not God. Easy. The body slept. The body ate. The body suffered. The body died. God can't do any of those things. Doesn't need to do any of those things. God was in the body. God was manifest in the body. But the body was man. And the body died in our place on the cross. And we are so thankful for that. So therefore, if, if the explanation that he had the spirit without measure was based on the fact that his flesh was sinless and ours is sinful, wait a minute, I don't receive the spirit till I'm blood washed. Hello? So if sin is the determining factor, I, I'm not going to have the spirit while I'm living a life of sin, unregenerated life of sin anyway. So what is that talking about? That can't be the determining factor that makes it different. If you would like, uh, your, I invite your attention to Hebrews chapter 5. And beginning with verse 7, Hebrews 5 and 7, and I'm not going to read all of this even for context, but you're, it's a great chapter. All of the chapters are great, but in the context of this message, this is a great chapter, and I'm encouraging you to look at it. It says, uh, verse 7, Hebrews 5 and 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications 
with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. How about the Amplified? Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned active, special obedience through what he suffered. We says, though he was son of God by nature, yet he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. How about uh, Bible in basic English? Though he was a son... Through the pain which he underwent, the knowledge came to him of what it was to be under God's orders. You're wondering what, what the point is, aren't you? Let's just try another one. The one you like to laugh at, the easy to read version. Jesus was the son of God, but he still suffered. And through his sufferings, he learned to obey whatever God says. Now, since he was sinless, and if he was not sinless, then his death on the cross was a waste of time for us. Because only a sinless sacrifice could pay for your sins and mine. Now, I'd like to remind you that Thursday night crowd is essentially uh, people that are in leadership and that want to be in leadership, in ministry. Everybody's welcome, of course. But you understand that I am not teaching at the lowest common denominator tonight. Not now and certainly not where I'm about to go. So he is, he is sinless. Therefore, when it says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered, could not talk about, is not, can't possibly be talking about that he was living disobediently and had to suffer to learn to be obedient to God. Disobedience is sin. You go to Revelation 21 and 8, and it will tell you that the disobedient are not going to enter those gates. You can't go to heaven living a life of disobedience. Disobedience is sin. So if this is talking about Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, being disobedient, and that he had to suffer to learn to be obedient, then he was a sinner, and his death... Doesn't work for you and I. So that can't be what this is talking about. So let's look at this a minute. According to the Greek, the word suffer there means it's a primary verb according to Strong's, which means to experience a sensation or impression. And in some cases, it, it's painful experience. Therefore, it is frequently translated suffering. But in principle, that's not what the word means. He learned to obey what he was sensing. <laughs> Whoa. He learned to obey and trust the impressions he was feeling.
Well, why, why would it say, why would it use the word suffering? Well, let's go this way. Anybody here ever been involved in any kind of ministry? Anybody here ever, while you're trying to learn how to minister, just messed it up big time? Wish there was a trap door you could disappear in, under, through? Yeah, in other words, if you're not willing to fail, you can't learn to be sensitive to God. I don't know what went on from the time he was 12 till the time he was 18. Not 18. 18 years. 30 when he got baptized. I don't know what went on in his life. I don't know what he did. This is the only verse that gives us any clue what he went through or what was going on in those 18 years. He learned how to be obedient to the Father. He learned how to be obedient to the Father. Yeah, but he's the Son of God. Well, I can't speak for you, but so am I. Behold what manner of love the Father's bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And Hebrews also tells us that he became the firstborn among many brethren. And he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Well, brothers are sons. Of the same father. <laughs> Hello. I, re- I understand it was a wreck. And some of you all frustrated trying to get here and all that. You're here now. Just breathe deep and listen. Okay. Because if you don't get this. You continue to be just a good moral person going to church. And you can't be used to God. Because we've all learned this. It's been a focus of the ministry here in helping you to learn this over the years. But we don't always understand everything we're learning. We don't always understand how we're learning. And there are some of us that are so intent. On, I, I, I can't speak it unless I know absolutely 100% that's God and it's going to come to pass. Yeah, that's good. That's wonderful. But if that paralyzes you so you never try, the devil's one. In the Old Testament, they judged prophets. If the prophet told a dream or he prophesied it didn't come to pass, they killed the prophet. Aren't you glad this isn't the Old Testament? In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14 says you judge the word, not the vessel. Why? Because Hebrews 5.14 says the way we learn to be sensitive is we exercise our senses by reason of practice. By reason of use. The Greek word is practice. To discern good and evil. Brother Wright, it, you know, that just sounds a little bit too, it doesn't sound spiritual enough for me. I just believe that if I'm spiritual, I'll never miss it. 
Well, then you've never been spiritual a day in your life. Because anybody sitting here tells me they've never missed it. It's lying through their teeth. And lying is a whole lot worse than missing it. I'm not, I'm not talking about being reckless and running around, you know. I know some folks, man. Poor old God, he doesn't have time to talk to the rest of us. He's talking to them all the time. The Lord told me to brush my teeth at 9.03. He told me to use this much toothpaste. He told me to rinse my toothbrush out and gargle with this what mouthwash. Then the Lord told me, really, 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 you stay right there. We got a jacket for you. It, now the sleeves are a little long, but we got a use for those because you got a problem. Isn't it amazing that the Lord always tells them stuff that they do, so therefore they can't ever be wrong? The Lord told me to brush my teeth, so I brush my teeth. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Did He tell you how many cavities you got? No, he's not, he's not going to do that because you might be wrong on that one. Do I believe the Lord speaks to us? Absolutely, I believe he speaks to us. But the, the scripture says, follow peace with all men. I don't need to follow peace if I'm getting a word on every breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe. So, <laughs> I'm setting you up. You know that, right? You do know that. So, Gal- Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, listen to what it says. I am crucified with Christ. I know you've probably never heard this verse before any time or any place, right? <laughs> I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, now, now uh, Bible scholars have a big problem with this because they don't, they won't, they, some, some Bible scholars, they just can't keep their theology out of their scholarship. And so therefore, they want this verse to say, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. But the preposition for in is not in the manuscript. It's the preposition for of. What does that mean? It's not talking about me having faith in the Son. It's talking about the Son of, the Son of God's own faith living through me. Now, here we go, ready? Antioch's got its S word, shame. Antioch's got its C word, what is that? Did you, did nobody come to call the war? If the word was said one time in ten sessions, it was said fifty times. Conduit. Conduit. Okay, so here we are. 
The, uh, we go back to John chapter uh, 3 and verse 34. And it says, uh, God gives not the spirit unto him by measure. And, and, and it, that means a determined extent, a portion measured off, a measure or limit. In other words, God did not give him the spirit in a limited manner. It's not talking about quantity. <laughs> you quantify the Holy Ghost when you talk about our initial coming to God and we are filled with the Spirit. The word filled connotates, actually, technically, it denotes specifically a, a certain amount. You can't fill something that doesn't have a finite capacity. Right? I mean, um, uh, uh, the word filled all by itself. It, it, it implies or actually strongly states that if I am filled, there is a specified quantity of whatever I'm filled with that I can hold. And when I, when I get that fullness of that quantity, I am now full and cannot hold anymore. So therefore, Jesus was not filled with the Spirit. He had the Spirit without measure. If He's not a container, what is He? Conduit. So he had the spirit without measure. Oh wait. John 12, John 14, 12 says, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Did you get that? I want, to, I, want, I want you to receive a revelation tonight. I, I went to flight training. I was halfway through. I had soloed in the T-34 and the T-28. And uh, the T-34, that first little training aircraft, that was a lot of fun. But the T-28 was equivalent to a World War II fighter. And it was a bear. And let me tell you something right now. I felt like I was in control of the T-34. I felt like the T-28 had control of me. The thing was huge. The engine, the engine was, it was a, was a radially opposed engine. It means the pistons all came out around, around the, where the propeller attaches. And, uh, uh, <laughs> And it was six feet, over six feet across. That's how big the engine was. It was literally the engine from top to bottom that was over six feet was huge. Now, I can tell you quite frankly that there is a huge difference between being in training to be a pilot and being a pilot. I soloed. 
I soloed in the T-34. I soloed in the T-28. Well, not totally. Jesus was with me both times, thank God. But there was no other human in the plane with me. I had several solo flights before I woke up one morning with a pain in my shoulder and I was on my way to be in the ministry because they couldn't fix it. There's a big difference between someone that's learning to cook and someone that can cook. There's a big difference between somebody that knows how to thread thread in a needle and stick it in and out of material and kind of sew that up and a master tailor. Big difference. We don't trash what a person can become while they're going through the struggles of learning to become that. Oh, Jesus, help us right now, right now. I got a question. I wonder if you went throughout this community and said, have you, do you know Chester Wright? I think you'd be really shocked at how few people know me and I've been here longer than you. I guarantee there are people that drive by this, this church building every day. And never even notice it's here. So what does that tell me? It tells me that the prophecy. That there would become a time. That we would be hated of all men for his namesake. Hasn't happened yet. And what is it. That God is going to do in us. And to us and through us. That's going to be of such dramatic nature. That everyone is going to make their mind up. What's going to happen? What, what's going to happen when people, not preachers, but believers, in my, in, in, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, and, and, and there's a conditional thing here, if they take up serpents, that's not talking about tempting God. And if, if they drink any deadly thing, it's not talking about also drinking poison to see if God's going to spare you. He probably should put you out of your misery because there's a real problem there. I don't, I'm just trying to be funny, not unkind. Okay. Honestly. And that, but the last one is they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Who's, who's going to be doing that? Who's supposed to be doing that? Believers. What, what, what do you think would happen? If something happened in the hearts of every one of us tonight and the signal was given and faith was activated, every one of us, and every last one of us that has the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name started praying for people wherever we were and blind eyes were open on the street in the, in, in, on the job. Deaf ears were unstopped. Cancer was gone. What do you think would happen? Huh? Well, first of all, the government would launch an investigation, I'm sure. And we would be called terrorists. Because we're, we would be doing miracles instead of blowing people up and shooting them. Because we know that's not terrorism. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. 
But so, so what would happen? What would happen if you go to visit a friend in the hospital and they, and they get immediately healed? Do you think that would be kept in a corner? You ought to be proud of me, see, because it, it, it's, it's up here, it's corner. It's not corner. Not down south, they have corners and corn. They say corn, but they don't say corner. They say corner. I'm really carnal here right now. You know that, don't you? This thing, this thing, it won't be done in a corner. It won't be. What's going to happen? What if, oh God help us. What if you don't understand and I don't understand, but we're in a carpenter's shop. Learning how to trust what we're feeling, what we're sensing. Learning how to be used of God as a conduit. What, what would happen if we got that revelation and understand I don't have to be what I, what I'm not yet. I, I don't have to do what I'm not yet qualified to do. I'm still learning to fly this plane. I'm not ready to go on a mission. What would happen if we got that and took all that pressure off ourselves? Where so many of us, well, we ain't, we're not trying because I don't want to make a mistake. Really? Really? You mean you've never been in a place in a store and walked past somebody and felt something? You went, whoa, what's that? What, what's that all about? What is that? You never been in that situation? What would happen if you just stopped and said, excuse me, sir, ma'am. Uh, and you don't say, the Lord spoke to me. But uh, I, I, just, I just feel a heaviness in your spirit. Is there something I could pray with you for? Well, what if, what if they went, are you crazy, you idiot? You'd say, okay, I just learned. I learned on that one. But next time I feel them, we'll try it again. And then one of these times, somebody's going to go, Oh, I, I just was, just was saying if somebody would just pray with me, I don't know how to pray. Huh? I've experienced it. It's an amazing thing. Does it happen every day? Not yet. Why? We're still in a carpenter shop. We'll still, we'll, we are still learning obedience by the things that we're experiencing. Let me tell you something. I didn't fly every day. We had ground school. went through ground school. And then I had, once you got into flight training, you had, you, had, you had stuff you had to study. You had tests you had to pass. And then you also got to fly. Nobody expected me after my first solo to take that T-34 out and land it on the USS Lexington, the aircraft carrier they kept in Pensacola Bay for Training purposes. Nobody expected me to do that. In fact, they would have highly discouraged it. Because they'd have lost a pilot and a plane. But there comes a day when you, when you've gotten such a proficiency, they're ready to start teaching you how to do that. 
And the first couple of times you do that, there's an instructor in the seat with you. And then finally, you get to do it by yourself. But it's a process. It's a process. But some of us, we're so afraid of failing. We're so afraid of missing it. We don't learn anything. We don't learn anything. We don't learn how to be used to God because we don't want to be embarrassed. Hey, that's what dying's all about. Because when the me is taken out of the picture, I stop being a conduit, a a container. I become a conduit. And I can have the spirit without measure. Hello? Say, well, the Bible doesn't say that. No, but there's plenty of other places that lets me know that. Because the idea of flow is an amazing principle in Scripture. It's an amazing principle. Uh, I don't know that I'd ever used this before, but when I was in Liverpool with uh, Brother Hemus and the church there, I was talking to uh, Pat uh, Hemus, the youngest of the Hemus sons, and the Lord, I just began to use a, an illustration I had never used before. And, and I later, later on that night, I did, uh, on Saturday night, I was doing some leadership and I used it again. And, and it really is a good one. It's a good one. I talked about flow in, in, in the context of a river. Please don't give any outward indication of this. I'm only trying to get you to ask yourself. And between you and Jesus, you can be honest. How many of us think it's really hard to live for God? How many of us don't react? Keep your hands still. How many of us think it's that this whole life is really hard? Everything about this is hard. This is hard. Well, I got a question. Have you ever tried to paddle upstream? A river flows. You, if you stand on the banks of the river and you look, it looks like it's as level as it can be. No, no, no. The current is going in one direction. You know why? It may only be a few inches higher on the one end you're looking at and lower on the other. But that river is flowing because it's going downhill. It's a flow. It, the river flows. That's what a river does. Otherwise, it's a lake. A lake doesn't flow. A river does. A river flows. But if you're trying to paddle against the current, if that river's flowing at five miles an hour, you gotta paddle at five just to stay still. If you wanna make progress up, up the flow, against the flow, if it's flowing at five, you gotta paddle at six or seven or eight or ten. Now, you might be able to do that for a little while, and some of you uh, superstars might be able to do it for a while, but you will get tired. Some of us are just stubborn enough. We're going to keep on paddling. I promise you what, even the most stubborn get, eventually get tired of trying to paddle upstream. This is hard. Boy, this is hard. What, boy, what God's expecting of me is hard. 
you're in the river, all right. That's really good. It's good that you're on the river. There's a slight problem. (laughs) You're going the wrong direction. Well, how do I fix my problem? It's so easy that you're not going to believe it. Because the word repentance means literally a change of mind or change of direction. The only thing I've got to do to take all the struggle out of living for God is just take my paddle and and switch the canoe around going the other direction and the river will take me where I need to go and there's no effort involved in it. Because if I'm I'm in the flow of the river, uh, the paddle is my will exercise trying to go upstream. I don't get rid of my paddle. I just use it for a different purpose. The paddle steers me to turn around. I have to exercise my will to allow God to change my direction. But now, do you know what the paddle does? It doesn't propel you. It's just used to steer you. To keep you in the deepest part of the channel of that river. To keep you in the flow. My my yielded will then keeps me steered in the flow. Because God will not violate my will. Well, what if I just give up my will and throw my paddle away? Oh, not good. That's not good. You know why? Because now you're floating on the river and you've got no way to guarantee you stay in the deepest part of it. And you don't know what's just underneath the surface when you get to the sides of that river. Every river has a channel where it's safe to be in that channel. (laughs) If you're struggling... Check the direction your canoe's pointed. Because you are going against the flow. (laughs) Oh, praise God. That kind of snuck up on you a little bit, didn't it? Life is so hard. Life is so difficult. Life is hard. Yeah, it is when you're paddling upstream. Oh, you're a child of God, all right. You're in the river. You got your boat in the river, except you're pointed in the wrong direction. And you're working hard to try to make some progress. And it just, you know, the problem is, you get a little bit tired, and you quit paddling, and you look, and all that progress you made just goes by you. You go, I passed that a while ago. (laughs) It's now past me, and I'm sitting here. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I'm smiling. I'm being kind. But I discern from a few of you, you haven't paddled upstream long enough. Just enjoy yourself. Just keep paddling because you will get tired enough. You'll finally give up and go with the flow of the river. Not my will, but thine be done, Lord. Okay, easy. Flip that thing around. Here we go. Now, here's the problem. The scripture says that we know that uh, God uses 
lack of rain to get our attention. If I, if I shut up heavens that there be no rain, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So what if we decide, okay, I'm flowing on the river, but I'm not sure I'm willing to leave it totally up to God and whether or not I got some river to float on. So I'm going to build me a dam and not let all this water flow by unused by me. So I'm going to build me a reservoir. Well, the problem is, <laughs> and it is a problem. If you stay on the upstream side of the dam, you're just paddling around and around in circles now in your little reservoir. But guess what? God, God w- would have to keep it from raining for a year or two before I begin to feel the effects of it. Because I got me some stuff stored up here behind my dam. Or, if you're downstream from the dam, the water's a lot more shallow and the chances are you're going to damage your boat. But here's the other problem. People who build dams on their river of relationship with God to insulate themselves from the Lord dealing with them as children by causing it not to rain, they keep praying. Lord bless this, Lord bless that, Lord bless this, Lord bless that. And he does. And in the scripture, rain coming down is a type of blessings. So here you are with your river, with a dam, and you're praying for rain. Up in those beautiful mountains, and all that rain's coming down. And we're praying really sincerely, and it's getting really heavy. And so all this rain's coming down, and it's collecting up and coming down in your river. And here it comes down. Oops, there's a dam in the way. You just prayed all this additional water down. But you got a dam here. What's going to happen now? All that additional water is going to build up pressure behind that dam. And when that dam breaks, all of that, all of that that God meant for good is going to come rushing out at one time and be one of the most destructive things you've ever experienced. Because we messed with the flow. We messed with the flow. Dear ones, sister, Trish, if you'd come, Joel, if you'd come. Hear me, hear me, please. Okay. <laughs> if uh, if you and I could just get the point, what's going on? I don't know. You know, training training gets old after a while. What's going on? But there's only way. There's, that's the only way to learn. So I pray and I flow and I let the Lord teach me how to. To sense and respond and sense and respond. And I pray and I flow and I, and I'm training. I'm getting ready. It's, it's happening. I'm getting ready because the day's coming. Scripture says the whole creation groaneth waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Just like there was a day that Jesus came out of the carpenter shop for the last time, there is coming a day. There's coming a day when we're coming out of our closets and going to be everything that God has planned and called us to be. What's supposed to be happening between now and then? We're supposed to be learning to walk with Jesus. 
We're supposed to be learning to hear His voice. We're supposed to be learning to be sensitive, responsive. We're supposed to be dying out to the, con- to the bottom of our container so that we can go from being a container to a conduit. We're supposed to be learning that. It's a process. It's not an event. It's a process. You're not going to do it perfectly. He's not going to let you do it perfectly. You, you mean the Lord will put me in situations where he know I, knows I'll fail? <laughs> you, you have to ask that? Well, then he's making me fail. No, I fail all by myself. He just puts me in situations where he knows that at this particular period of time in my life, I'm going to trust myself. And if he puts me in a situation, I'm going to trust me, my wisdom, my understanding, my strength, my ability. And because he knows that I will rely on me, I will fail. Is he doing that to embarrass me? No. Is he doing that to destroy me? No. He's doing that to teach me. I got to learn to stop trusting me. Trust in the Lord with all my thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Praise God.